Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. I'm Callum Jones. This week, there's more trouble at Hinkley Point, and the bank of mum and dad is bigger than you might expect. And, as ever, with less than two months before polling day, we'll probably be talking a bit about Europe, too. Joining us in the studio today is The Times' assistant editor, Anne Ashworth, our economics editor, Philip Aldrich, and our energy editor, Robin Pagnamenta. But first, next Thursday, the Bank of England will publish its quarterly inflation report and deliver its assessment of the current state of the economy. It comes after warnings that the economy is now close to stalling, after a triple whammy of weak services, construction and manufacturing figures in April. Phil, let's start with you. What are we expecting next week? Well, actually, it's going to be particularly complicated for the Bank of England because uh, they create their forecasts on market assumptions. A lot of them are market assumptions. So you've got things like uh, the pound, which has been falling for a while, partly because of Brexit, but it hasn't fallen as much as if we had actually left uh, the European Union. As the data uh, suggest we've got businesses uh, delaying investment decisions, which is hitting growth, which is why the second quarter is looking particularly weak at the moment. So these things you would normally just just flow straight into the Bank of England forecast. But the thing is, the Bank of England is supposed to project the economy on a status quo situation. So that would be if we stay in Europe. Um, uh, and obviously, if the the current signs are all driven by the uncertainty of us leaving, and as it will be a binary decision on June the 23rd, uh, what we have at the moment is is kind of a nonsense situation. It's going to have to set interest rate policy for two years ahead, based on the assumption that we don't have that we don't leave uh, Europe, and uh, it's going it's going to have to sort of cons- it's going to have to find a way to make the this 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 sort of intermediate data. They're going to have to reverse engineer it so that it's more representative of what the economy would be doing today if it wasn't for all this uncertainty around Brexit. So it's going to be a, a bit of a complicated uh, scenario. And I think the main thing we're going to learn is what the Bank of England believes the impact of uh, the uncertainty, the current uncertainty around Brexit is actually having on the economy. So, it, so that I think it's, it's next week, even though, even though they're going to be technically talking about the outlook for two years, where is interest rates going to go or whatever, um, it's going to focus back in on, on, to, on today and the, and the, and the current uh, economic climate be driven by all of this uncertainty. Robin? I just wanted to ask Phil, since January we've seen quite a significant bounce back in commodity prices, oil and uh, other raw materials is that is that going to have much impact on on next week yes yeah, so, so the i mean these things sh- 
would be uh, causing inflation to pick up because we've had these huge, huge uh, reductions in commodity prices, which have, have well, particularly oil has, has accounted for something like three quarters of the shortfall in inflation from the inflation target, which was which is 2%. And at one point, we were at zero. So that's a 1.5 percentage point reduction uh, in their inflation f- forecast. So, uh, that, so, yeah, the underlying picture sh- it should be showing that inflation will be returning to 2% a little bit faster than uh, was projected in the February inflation report, which, you know, you would automatically feed through into in, into assuming that that would lead to uh, slightly earlier rate rises than these market projections of maybe 2019 in the, uh, the, for the first for the first increase but it's all just going to be so muddy because of this uh, because of these kind of this kind of nonsense effect of of uh, of of the uncertainty so if, if they actually manage to reverse engineer all this stuff out and then give us a cleaner picture of, of a sort of non-eu affected economy you would ex- be expected to see a bit of a bit of that bit of that inflation impact and it is interesting to think that by the time the bank publishes its next report i think it's due in august yeah. britain may well have left uh, the well, european uh, union or voted to leave it yeah so if they if we've left in august then obviously that because the issue is is a binary issue if they have left by then if we have left by then then the bank will, <laughs> will have an entirely new set of forecasts mm. um and whatever the market projections are whether we've left or not whatever the market projections are then will be representative of of the will be more representative of the state of the economy that that report itself will be it'll be a lot clearer of the of the real direction of travel for interest rates at that point this one is 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 going to be is going to be pretty uh, opaque what do you make of it Anne? what i'm curious about is why consumers don't feel better off given that some people are paying less tax, prices are falling, we're still seeing this extraordinary benefit to so many households of record low interest rates. Why there's so much uncertainty among consumers? I mean, will the bank shed any light on that? Um, they might do. Uh, the, the, I, I'm, I'm a bit baffled by it because I don't personally think that my spending decisions are being influenced by the whole Brexit situation. Um, I, I, I think that actually there is, you know, we've got a gl- the global economy is a bit weak. People are worried yeah. about, uh, people are worried about, um, you know, U- Europe and and actually the the, the figures from out of America have been mm. have been quite poor. The first three uh, months of the year, there was all this sort of volatility in the markets. Uh, there was a lot of talk about this sort of low growth trap that that we're that we're heading for. So that has clearly influenced consumer confidence but actually the underlying figures are pretty good i mean wages are beginning to creep up uh, you know a little bit more rapidly and and unemployment's an 11 year low and uh, inflation is still 0.5% so uh, there is you know, disposable incomes are rising people are are putting are putting more money away um, so that you would have thought that there there would be this this little bit of a buoyancy but it's it, it, you know confidence is such a crucial factor in in economics and if people are worried and putting money in the bank just to, just in case you know that that does have a dampening effect and there, and these surveys have suggested that that is happening 
a little bit, although you're never quite clear if it's just excuses by, by companies. I just wonder there's a lot of post-rationalisation here because I don't think any woman's looked at a pair of shoes she liked and thought, hmm, Brexit, that's a reason not to buy them. Exactly. However, <laughs> I think people want an excuse. Maybe they want an excuse to be fearful because we know that it's causing the housing market to slow in central London and the more expensive parts of the southeast. Maybe people think there are going to be bargains to be had later on. Mm. But it seems as if we're all casting around amid a relative degree of affluence for reasons not to be cheerful. And that the budget did not seem to have any palpable effect on making people feel they were better off. Now, it's just a, like a whole policy failure on well, the all, the, all the bits that the Chancellor was supposed to be attacking. Well, the, budget, the budget was, I mean, he, he, his forecast, the, the forecast all went against him. He had to find more money. Mm. It was a pretty... So that, that would have fed into that sort of climate of concern, wouldn't it? Because it, it, the, the whole picture was, we need to do more austerity. So I guess that will have, will have affected sentiment. And we know any moment now people are going to start blaming the bad weather for poor high street sales. I mean, everybody is casting around for excuses not to be positive. It's, it's very true. Whilst we're on Brexit, though, um, next week we're expecting George Osborne after a few delays to appear before the Treasury Select Committee. After a few delays, here he is speaking last month. Britain would be permanently poorer if we left the European Union. Under any alternative, we'd trade less, we'd do less business, there would be less investment, and the price would be paid by British families. Wages would be lower, prices would be higher, and that means that Britain would be poorer by £4,300 per household. Don't believe the flimsy claim that at least we'd get some money back by not paying our one penny in every pound we raise in taxes to the European budget. If we left the EU, we'd lose tens of billions of pounds in money for our public services because our economy would be smaller and our families would be poorer. The most likely bill for our public services if we left the EU is £36 billion a year. As ever, claims over the consequences of Brexit flying all over the place. Uh, what do you make of it, Phil? Well, actually, that, that sort of warning of £4,300 a, a head um, poorer is, a, is the kind of thing which makes you put money in the bank, isn't it? Mm. But um, those numbers are also flimsy, to use his word. They're, uh, they're, they're projections that are 15 years into the future and, and nobody knows what the real deal's going to look like afterwards. I mean, he's when he goes before the Treasury Select Committee, there are a number of uh, MPs on it who are... Uh, pro-Brexit, so he's going to get some, some fierce grilling there. And Andrew Tyree, who's the chairman of the committee, he's, pro- he's probably the man at the moment with the, the most comprehensive grasp of all of the numbers and, and the issues. Um, and so uh, he, he'll, he'll pick George Osborne's, uh, and the tr- that's the Treasury's uh, paper that he was talking about there, to pieces, because there are, there, are um, there are a bunch of assumptions and models used in that which... Um, you know, some economists would question whether they they were necessarily the right ones. But he has had the IMF, the G20, the Bank of England, his Treasury report, the OECD, the IFS, um, a whole bunch of think tanks, um, all coming out and and saying the same thing that it's going to be damaging. Um, and uh, he he's even actually claimed the economic argument has been won, and that's before sort of formal. Uh, you know, we've gone into the Perda period when the formal campaigning starts. Um, I think it's a little bit premature to be saying that. So what you're saying here is all those statements have had unintended consequences 
all this idea that we could be worse off has made people fear, fearful just in case the go, vote goes for Brexit. Well, it's unintended or is it intended? Because uh, obviously the Project Fear's goal is to, is to make people wary about voting for Brexit so that they, they keep the status quo. Um, and so if we have weak growth in the second quarter, it reinforces those Project Fear arguments, doesn't it? So it may not be unintended consequences. I also wonder how much the average person listens to these things. I wonder if it's a load of white noise and they will make up their mind in the polling booth when they get the stubby pencil in their hand as to how they feel that day. The true argument, for also for an awful lot of businesses who don't know where they stand, will not actually start until June, once we've got this week's elections out of the way. Robin, do you think people are listening yet? Uh, I think the the sort of noise is going to get increasingly intense. Um, I mean, I I personally, when I heard that speech, I, I thought it. I mean, I'm no no great uh, believer in Brexit, but I did think that speech was absurd and it just stretched credulity. And I just thought those figures sounded like nonsense to me. I don't see how you can come up with such an exact figure over such a, a long period of time. I think one other issue that people haven't perhaps. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Thought about enough about this referendum is the kind of mood music that may or may not be around at the time. I mean, last summer we had all of these terrible scenes at Calais. We had you know, these trucks backing up. We had this whole sort of sense of crisis around the migration debate. And I just wonder if we're going to see that again this summer. And if we do, what impact that may have on a very kind of, you know, on a, on a sort of short-term basis on the kind of feeling around this referendum. And I, I, I sort of worry that that may kind of affect 
people's judgment and, and affect the way people vote. OK, we're going to take a quick break now, but afterwards we'll be back talking about Hinkley Point. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Next up, an £18 billion plan to build a new nuclear power station in Somerset has been hit this week by an admission that engineers may have falsified vital safety tests. The Hinkley Point project has already been hit by delays and it may well face more. Now, Robin Pagnamento has been covering this story extensively. Is it right that it was initially stated to start generating power as soon as next year and now we're looking at around 2025? Uh, yes, I mean, this is the, this is the, the great power project that just seems to get delayed further and further into the future. I mean, um, I remember writing uh, about this story, you know, f- uh, five, six years ago, and, and, and not that much seems to have changed. I mean, the latest is that EDF has set back a final investment decision until uh, September, or well, that's the, the date that, they, that they've given. We had been expecting one uh, next week, in fact. Uh, May the 12th was the date that um, EDF's management were supposed to to we were assured we're, we're going to make a final decision on this project but uh it has just simply been plagued by problem after problem after problem and the french nuclear industry is in a is in a mess and this week we had uh sort of fresh trouble when it emerged that arriva which is the french reactor developer the sort of technology producer of, of of these reactors that have been earmarked for for hinkley facing new troubles um it, the, the company is already bankrupt it's already collapsed it's being bailed out by the french state and by edf uh, and the latest news is that it's emerged that um, there is no paper trail for dozens, uh, possibly hundreds of big components that are contained inside reactors, both in France, uh, where nearly 80% of the country's electricity comes from nuclear power, also in other countries, including the UK. Uh, so we have uh, components inside nuclear reactors which we don't really know anything about. We don't know uh, whether they um, pass the, the the sort of very high safety test that obviously they're supposed to to, to pass, uh, and the French regulator, uh, the French nuclear safety regulator, is investigating all of this and trying to verify uh, whether this poses a risk to the public, both in France and and other countries. So this is obviously a, a sort of a, a further very serious blow for the French nuclear industry and confidence in the French nuclear industry and its ability to press ahead with a with a giant project uh, like Hinkley so it, it doesn't feel like a, a very a very good week for the for the French nuclear industry which has been in all sorts of trouble for a while now. Does the uh, UK energy ministry have a plan B if you know September comes and they say they can't do it? Uh, well we've for the first time they've sort of indicated that, that uh, they do have a plan B of sorts. Um, I mean, they've uh, the UK government remains uh, deeply committed to, to Hinkley, as does the French government. But for the first time, we had this letter from Amber Rudd, the Energy Secretary, uh, in response to um, uh, a parliamentary inquiry, uh, where she sort of signalled that um, uh, that if Hinkley does not proceed, the biggest single problem that it that would present um, is that the UK would probably miss its carbon uh, reduction targets for 2030. Uh, in terms of the sort of cost and the impact on 
uh, electricity supplies in the UK, the, her, her letter appeared to sort of play down the impact. Uh, it wasn't a very, very clear um, indication, and but I mean I think it's it's inevitable that ministers must be looking at um, alternatives now. I mean they they. they uh, simply have no choice because there's so much uncertainty around whether this project's really going to happen. And what would it be? Would it be coal, or would it just be more gas coming in from Qatar or Norway or wherever we get our gas from? I mean, the, the, you know, there are a number of options. You know, gas at the moment is probably the, the sort of cheapest and and most uh, and, and sort of easiest option because gas-fired power stations are relatively cheap to build. But there are also um, more sort of innovative solutions which are actually emerging now in the UK and that this is more about this is this is not so much about building new power stations this is about managing demand for electricity using new technology uh, and and that's something that's that's happening more and more and, and has to happen more and more as more of our electricity supplies come from volatile sources of renewable power like wind and solar uh, so you know we now have I mean last year the UK actually generated a quarter of its electricity from renewables uh, and and because they are inherently volatile you know you have windy days you have sunny days you have cloudy days um, you know th- this means a, a big variation in the amount of power that's available and balancing that is something that that is you know increasingly uh, intrinsic to the way that we manage our power can edf withdraw from this deal is would that be at all possible because the finance boss the is it thomas peakmal said that it was just too much of a burden for edf's balance sheet to go ahead and he truly feared that to be so is there any way that they could stage a graceful exit or would the reputation of the company and thus the reputation of the french state be unable it would just be unthinkable well the thing to 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 bear in mind about EDF is that it's 85% owned by the French government. So really, EDF can't do anything unless the French government uh, agrees to it or, or directs it. So this is, the, you know, fundamentally what we've got here is a, is a big political project, uh, you know, Anglo-French project. Uh, the French government uh, is behind it because France has a big nuclear industry. It's about creating jobs in France. It's about exporting French nuclear technology around the world. The UK is seen as a sort of uh, a great, you know, showcase for, uh, for French nuclear technology. That's the reason why they are pushing this project forward, despite the advice of even the company's own finance director, who resigned in March, uh, and many others who believe that the that the sort of business case is is just simply you know not there. Um, the problem is that this technology is not yet mature, and they have not managed to build any of these EPR reactors that have, have been uh, earmarked for Hinkley anywhere successfully. Uh, so unless the French government sort of can find a way to, or, or unless the French government decides that, you know, that actually, you know, this is just simply not a sensible project, uh, EDF won't really be able to, you know, has, has no room for, for manoeuvre. OK, moving on to our final item today. The Bank of Mum and Dad is bigger than you might expect. A report from Legal in General and the Centre for Economics and Business Research found that parents helping their children onto the property ladder will be involved in a quarter of all property transactions this year, which means they are now the equivalent of a top 10 mortgage lender in the UK. Anne, how did we get here? We got here in a very strange and roundabout way, but I think you can quite 
say it's because banks would prefer not to lend to people with small deposits, and that is the typical first-time buyer. And the size of the average deposit required in in our London and in other major cities is just so substantial. And I think there is an element of guilt involved in the bank of mum and dad that parents who have been very fortunate enough to enjoy the massive house price appreciation that has happened in many locations in the UK feel, know their children will not be able to benefit in that way and feel that they would rather give the money to them now than later. But it is, it is, and we have a broken housing market and vast inequality, but it's now, will you have a home? Yes, if your parents were fortunate enough to be able to, to climb onto the housing ladder in a location where house price growth has been strong. And as you say, rising house prices have made it dif- pretty difficult for first-time buyers to get on the property ladder for some time. Is, is there any sign that this is going to change anytime soon? Well, the underlying problem of the housing market is supply and I think we saw this week that construction activity in the residential sector seems to be slowing again. Now help to buy which is the quasi bank of mum and dad for people whose parents can't give them a handout did stimulate house building for a while but that effect seems to be diminishing and while we have a growing population more smaller households, more people living alone, there will be a demand for housing that cannot be met. And Legal in general made the point that this situation in many ways could boost inequality because many parents can't necessarily support their children in this way. Well, you know, we have the haves and the haves-nots in the housing market. It's it's very clear. And we one hears of stories of people being so concerned that their three-year-old will never be able to buy a house in London that they are purchasing a property for that child and renting it out. Uh, Barclays have just launched 100% mortgages. But you've so got to be a rich parent to be able oh, to... Oh, you've got to uh, do to, a guarantee. Yes, you've yeah. got to put money into an account thus again Mm. those with some spare cash are uh, are at an advantage in the situation Uh, I mean once upon a time you know buying your own place used to be a rite of passage now it's something that is kind of it's like as if people are in a permanent state of childhood however I think it's quite interesting legal in general has got a big role now in trying to do build to rent to do affordable rental blocks where people can live and save up their own deposits and that's what we need is we need to recognize that the private rented sector is now bigger than social housing in this country and incentivize the provision of more such homes that's about all we've got time for this week many thanks to phil Anne, and robin for joining us here in the studio and to our producer david mcguire Make sure to subscribe. Robert Miller will be back with you next week. Follow the latest each day at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.